Dotnet Rocks, episode 1030, with guest Glenn Howes. Recorded Monday, August 25th, 2014. All right, welcome back. It's .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, we're here. Glenn House is here. We'll be talking to him in just a few minutes, but uh, hey, buddy. Hey, man. I've been barbecuing up a story. Remember Ronnie Shuchuk? We did the great barbecue geek out with him. Of course I remember Ronnie. Came over a couple weekends back, bunch of my friends together, and we cooked up a storm. Lamb burgers, seafood paella. It was all Moroccan theme. It was awesome. All right. Yeah, we ate well. Did you have some couscous? Uh, we did. Uh, Stacy made a quinoa salad, which were blended in perfectly. In fact, Beautiful. it was so good we put it in the Lamburgers on uh, on pitas. I officially started on the twenty fourth. I officially started my music to code by project, and uh, started by cleaning the studio. Nice. <laughs> Uh, and the video, you know, I started the because uh, I'm doing a a Blu-ray disc, basically a high def uh, Blu-ray video of the making of it, and it started with cleaning the studio. That's a great place to start. Yeah, and so basically, I put the camera in a corner, and for two hours while I cleaned the studio, I videotaped myself cleaning it up, and I compressed that all into about one minute. <laughs> good call i can't wait to hear what it sounds like it's gonna be a, i'm sure it'll be amazing but you know I, i'm a bit of a fan of your music for a long time yeah i'm i'm very interested to see where it will go too i have a few ideas but uh here's one thing that you may not have known but i'm gonna do three 25 minute pieces and that lines up with the the pomodoro technique that's that's right it does awesome so you're gonna hear three pomodoros of music on this album and that's about all that'll fit maybe a five minute intro just to get you get you ready yeah but i'm i here's something that i want uh feedback on i'm really contemplating whether or not to have a ding <laughs> after at the end of the pomodoro 25. yeah Maybe just some kind of riff, something guitar-y. So you don't have to actually set the timer, you know? Right. Yeah. It's kind of neat. That's an interesting idea, buddy. I like that. All right. Well, anyway, Better Know Framework is up next. All right. What do you got? You better. You better know it. Better know. You better know a framework. Uh, If you're new to the show, this is where I just sort of talk about something for... It used to be I used to go into the framework and talk about little pieces of it and little classes and things, but we sort of exhausted that. Maybe we haven't. Uh, it might be interesting to go look through the PCL, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, and it is just a subset of .NET, so it's yeah. stuff we know. But anyway, uh, it's a good idea. But today, I found something I just have to talk about. Ooh. Go to uh, tinyurl.com slash thenophone, and that's T-H-E-N-O, phone. Leave your phone at home without feeling uneasy about it. Now you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Franklin. Finally, there's a device with a... Spe- and, and it's basically a chunk of plastic that looks like a phone. <laughs> but I love the de- description here in Engadget. Finally, there's a device with a spec sheet that'll let you feel good about leaving your other phone elsewhere. Enter the No Phone, a solid brick of plastic that stands in at the size and weight comparable to any of those popular handsets. What's more, the device has a zero megapixel camera, <laughs> infinite battery life, and is both waterproof and shatterproof. 
Nice. Oh, that looks good on paper, but the real selling point is how the No Phones features improve communication, eye-to-eye contact, and conversing with actual spoken words at dinner are on their way back to couples everywhere. That's because you won't be using this slab to text or call someone else, but you can leave it in your pocket to feel like the tether is still intact. Nice. No word on a release date or pricing just yet, but you can see the gadget in action at this URL. Awesome. That's hilarious. And that is tinyurl.com slash the no phone. The no phone. Yeah. Somebody was bound to do it. You know, yep. it's the same feeling I had when they started selling bottles of water. <laughs> Except they're actually good for something. Yeah. Yeah. Except that, you know, it's it's like stuff that you can just go get. Yeah. But you're just kind of too lazy, so you buy it. There you go. Yeah. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off show 1015, the one we did with Rocky Latka, where we talked about modern app development. And that was when Rocky, we sort of flip it back and forth on the whole, should we develop in native? Should we develop in, in hybrid? Should we develop for the web? Because mm. he's run into the compatibility problems with each of them. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. And it, and for me, I, I, Rocky's always a touch point for me. It's just where is it working for you right now, dude? Because he's out in the field. You know, he's dealing with those problems all the time. Right. So it's, it's awesome. This is a long comment, but I think it's very worthy uh, of a read here. Darren Oster wrote this to me. Uh, While the promise of one solution everywhere is a very compelling one, my own experience with Xamarin has been less than I'd hoped. I was tasked to work on a mobile app targeting iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. As a developer with experience in Objective-C, Java, and of course C-Sharp, I would have preferred the native route. However, as the team I was part of only had C-Sharp experience, we went with Xamarin. It was a decision that has come back to bite us several times since. We were able to share code between Android and iOS devices. However, the network access code for those platforms did not work for Windows Phone, which Mm. is a native C-sharp platform. Mm -hmm. And the use of shared C-sharp code base still does not eliminate the need to fully understand the UI models of the various platforms as they still are needed to be coded, quote, natively. Since then, we have had issues with incompatibility between Xamarin and Xcode, and when we added this to the difficulty of using external third-party libraries in our code, most of which are in Objective-C, we made a decision last year to redevelop the iOS application in Objective-C. This then left Android as the only platform using Xamarin, because the Windows phone doesn't use Xamarin due to the aforementioned issue, Mm -hmm. that is not being able to use the uh, network access codes. Right, And so to save on licensing costs and the effort it takes to keep both Android and Xamarin up to date, we are now redeveloping the Android app in Java. Now, all of this has occurred over the last two and a half years, and I realize that Xamarin has come a long way in a very short time, and it is likely that had we started the project now, Xamarin would have been an excellent choice, particularly for a development shop with limited experience outside the C-sharp world. And I would reiterate that point very likely. The, the things that they were experiencing uh, have all been addressed. Yeah, they were earlier problems. And they really, you know, the funny thing is in the early days, Xamarin, they hadn't looked at Windows Phone at all. So there was just no support across that. Right. Plus, Studio itself has moved and gotten better with the whole shared library approach. And now with Xamarin Forms, you don't even need Xcode for for simple things. Well, that's a whole other can of worms. And you got to, you know, what Darren doesn't mention here is what project it was and whether or not having a unified UI experience would have been the best. Uh, I agreed. Agreed. But he's not done yet. He says, however, a comment from a previous .NET Rocks episode comes to mind. During a previous show talking about mobile development, the comment was made that the end user doesn't care if the development code is shared between platforms. Mm. They simply want the best experience for their phone. Right. I think in particular the difference of UI paradigms between the platforms, particularly Windows phones with its large scrolling canvases, 
While it may be possible to share business logic between platforms, the UI is a very large part of any mobile app. How much of this can really be shared without giving the users a mediocre experience everywhere? And I think that's an interesting challenge part of this is, do you want to do the Facebook unified UI everywhere, or do you really want to look like a given phone? Because there's approaches for both. Again, I have to answer that um, Xamarin's Forms technology basically allows you to use a subset or a sort of XAML-like markup language, and that translates to native UI on each platform with the look and feel of that platform's UI. For sure. Yeah. And I know my opinion is biased. As one of the few developers who know Objective-C and Java in my company, I like to think I have an advantage in the market, but my thought is that Xamarin still has a ways to go before the promise of one solution everywhere is achieved. Still, everyone's mileage may vary, and with Microsoft supporting Xamarin and the cross-platform efforts being made, maybe Utopia can be achieved. Mm. And, you know, the funny thing is, being an old guy who's seen us over and over and over again trying to have one way to do everything, and in pretty much every case have failed, you know, to some degree, it's a question of what's actually needed. You know, what's unique about today's generation right now is that the phones have so much horsepower, speed's not the issue. We know we can do it. Mm-hmm. And in the new marketplace, what's happening with apps, and again, Darren did not identify this app, but if you really care about working across all the devices, generally it's because you're building an app that's a B2C app, that it's your company providing services to your customers. And so optimizing for the platform isn't the main thing. Supporting as many phones as possible is the main thing. Mm. And so these hybrid approaches help. And then there's always the web. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there's other options for doing more native stuff, and I think we're going to talk about that today. Right. So, Darren, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And I should also mention that uh, I'll be doing a workshop at Dev Intersection on Xamarin Forms. Indeed. And that'll be uh, November 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada. So you can go to devintersection.com and check that out. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of what he's saying there really does change with Xamarin Forms. You know, that 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 is a game changer where you can have a unified, uh, you, you know, a single UI project. Now, granted, it's limited what you can do with it, but it's getting better all the time and pretty robust right now. Yeah, and, and, now it's, a, and it's a 1.0 product. It's a 1.0 product, yeah. So we have not yet seen what's possible with Xamarin Forms yet. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I have used it and I have written some pretty serious stuff with it. Nice. And I haven't run into those kinds of issues. When you can live in the box that it supports. Yes. And the, the apps come out looking exactly like, and they are because they're native apps, but they, they use the native UI. Right. Yeah. It's a way to describe the UI in terms of what goes where and what, you know, what kinds of things there are, but those things are the same programmatically across all platforms but not with look and feel and it is a subset yep okay pretty cool that's good all right well before we go any further i need to tell you plural site is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet they have over three thousand professional developer it admin and creative courses authored by mvps and industry experts they're releasing new courses daily and offer a 10-day free trial giving you 200 minutes of access try plural site today Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. 
And on to our guest, Glenn Howes of Nashua, New Hampshire, has been programming for iOS since the SDK came out. And before that, on Macs, from the time when documentation was in Pascal. It's over 20 years of being paid to code in languages such as C, C++, Objective-C, JavaScript, Pascal, and a few lines of Motorola 68000 assembly. He now works as a consultant writing consumer-facing iOS apps, but he also releases apps of his own under the name Generally Helpful Software for such diverse markets as vectored graphics, chemistry, and over-the-air TV enthusiasts. He is first of 10 children, father of two, and holds a PhD in analytical science from the University of Wisconsin. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Uh, and this is your third time talking to us, but the second time was on that other show we did for a while called The Tablet Show. That's right. And um, I, I think I should put in a little um, thanks to Pluralsight, because I, you know, I, for some reason I had to re, uh, be certified in Salesforce this year. Mm-hmm. Because of my job, which is a very unusual thing for me, yeah. And I and I went to Pluralsight and I found m- several videos on that subject. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's a good value right there. Yes, because it was just a requirement of my current job. Yeah, awesome. How you been? I well, I, I'm, I got a cold today, but I've been uh, enjoying learning Swift. You know, um, it's been a, it's it's been a long time since I learned a new language, and uh, you know, and this year I thought I was going to learn Android programming. I thought, oh, I'll take the summer and I'll learn Android programming, and then June comes along and Apple introduced a new language, and you know that basically blew my whole summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but in a good way. Yeah, but yeah. in a good way. It's it's been it's been very interesting. Um, learning a new language. You know, people always say that a programmer can program in any language. Uh, and that's true. That should be true. But when we, when we get older, we get, we, we, we like our language. We just don't want to take that little extra effort to do it. Uh, and, but I've been sort of forced to, so it's an interesting. Now there is another Swift language. It's a, it's a parallel scripting language, but we do have to say that this is not that this is the, the Apple language, the new Apple language that just came out. Yes. I, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, Apple has a little disclaimer at the bottom of their page. If you, you know, if you want the uh, scripting language, go here. Yeah, that's nice of them. So you could say it's a it's a sort of a re repackaging or not a repackaging, but a rethinking of what Objective C does using modern features. What to, if you could sum it up in a you know in one word or one phrase about what the what the real benefits of Swift are? What would that be? Um. One word. Well, it's, oh, maybe I guess, a phrase. I, I guess. I guess type safety would be the ma- major thing. Yay. Um, hmm. The um, I you know I you know I I was never unhappy with Objective C. You know I'm you know I've been using it for many years and I've, I've always been happy with it. But um, since learning Swift, I I've, I've looked at b- bugs that I do. You know the bugs that come up, and I think, hey, this bug would not happen in in Swift. Yeah. Interesting. So, like for instance, the other day I spent an entire day, entire day tracking down a bug. the 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 basis of the bug was that there's a um, there's a method on a table view in object in uh, the Cocoa runtime mm-hmm. that that uh, returns a uh, NS index pointer to it. And I overrid that, but I I forgot to, I forgot it, that it, what its signature was, and I put it, said it was returning void. Hmm. And you know the compiler let me do it. The uh, static mm-hmm. analyzer didn't complain about it. Uh, you know, it just, you know, whenever it hit that, it would crash very rapidly. Into your foot. Into my (laughs) foot. So, uh, (laughs) but in, in, yeah, so it was entirely my fault because I just typed it in instead of letting the, you know, the code completion do it for me. And, um, but, 
that's a, that's the whole thing about languages. There's you know they're supposed to help you a little bit along the lines from doing stupid things, mm. and and that's what type in this particular case Swift has this concept that if you um, if you override a function, you actually have to type in the word override. So to say, I know I'm overriding a function. Right. Mm. So be explicit about it. And if I've typed in the word override and then I gave a function uh, a function uh, header that it didn't know about, it would say, "Hey, I don't. You're not over. That that doesn't make any sense. You're saying you're overriding something that isn't overriding." And uh, so that's the kind of safety you get with Swift. The that sort of thing. I stuck my my toes in the pool with Swift a little bit, and there's some things. I mean, it seems very C sharpy to me, but that's great. And in some ways, it does things that are very innovative, like uh, there's a, gr a really cool enumerator system. Oh, I love the enumerator system. That is my most favorite part of the Swift language is the enumeration. And I'd love that in C Sharp. Why don't you tell everybody what that's all about? Oh, it's, well, it's, it's going to be hard to describe, but the generally, uh, you know, the short answer is they have enumerations on steroids. You know, you have enumerations where you can, uh, you can take a sort of a class of enumerations. Like I'm writing a keyboard. Right, for instance, right, and so uh, the keyboard will have very um, various kinds of keys on them, and so some of the keys will have text associated with them, or even arrays of text associated with them, and I can in the enumeration say uh, case, um, you know, a, a keyboard or a key with with strings, mm. and in in the dec declaration of it, I can give a list of strings that it will spit back out at you later on. It's so powerful. Yeah, I like to use the example of, you know, people, uh, you know, our customers, you know, for each customer in customers, right? You would do that in C Sharp. But if you wanted to access the particular fields of that customer, then you have to, you know, access them customer dot this. But now you can just say for first name, comma, last name, comma, address in customers, right? Oh, so you yeah. can go all the way to there. And then just access those variables in that block. Yeah, just, just one more shortcut. You can do cool things like you know instead of just having uh, one, you're doing a switch statement, and in, instead of the enumeration appearing only once in the switch statement, you can have conditions on it. Like so, you can say uh, like I have a in my example here where I have this keyboard, I have a a hide keyboard button, and I can say switch. Uh, on my switch on this enumeration and a uh, case got high, dot hideboard keyboard where a keyboard is is dark mm. right so i can have logic inside the switch statement you know as opposed to in the old days you'd have this mess where you would say uh either you'd put the you know if if statement above outside the switch or inside the switch and it would you know it'd be like how do how do i make this work it would be, it'd be a, you know, just a jumble of spaghetti to yeah. be done with it. And now it isn't. Now it is so sweet. And um, I invited my brother, who isn't a programmer, to, uh, to I'd meet with him uh, every couple of days on GoToMeeting. And, uh, and we just go over the process of learning Swift. Because, you know, he, he, I want him to learn it too, even mm -hmm. though he's not a programmer. And, you know, I, I show him. You know, here's this line of code in Swift, right? This is this is one this one little line where I I'm interested in what this data type is does, or what uh, I'm interested in uh, converting this to a string. Like I uh, I, I want to know what the string associated with this keyboard is, and uh, you know you can I can 
put methods on these enumerations where I can give it'll give me back you know a display name or whatever it is. It's so compact. Mm -hmm. It's so incredibly compact to build data structures out of it. Uh, I don't want to sound like a bit cheerleader about this, you know, because it's you know it's it's a not it's not a complete language yet. I mean, they're still working on it, but it, it's just eye opening to me. What you can, what they can do, and it, and as I said before, some of these things are pretty innovative, and I, I just like the way they help you cut out uh, cruft. And that's what we're talking about with Bill Wagner, Richard. Yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, just gets you to be more productive, and th these are great things, and that Microsoft could even learn from. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, you know, it's at this point in the computer languages, you know, you are always standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Apple is not going to go around and say that they invented the, the retur return a tuple, mm -hmm. right? They're going to say, well, we like we like our implementation of returning a tuple. I mean, uh, and you know, for some for somebody like myself who did you know spent a huge amount of time in his life writing C it is so nice being able to return a tuple. Mm. You know, because in the if you're doing C programming or other languages, Drive to C, for instance, uh, and you try you want to do the same thing, oftentimes you'd have to pass in a structure to fill in. You know, as a as a by reference, in order to you know in order to get two bit two bits of information out of a function, right? And now you have this this uh, tuple. The tuple's just a list of items, right? Yeah, it's 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 a um it's a tagged list of items that you can return from a function, mm. and uh and so you when you return it, you can use the same syntax that you would use for uh for declaring a variable. So you can say you know um let you know my index whatever uh, comma my uh, my name if you're returning index and name from a function hmm. and it would just it'll just appear there you don't have to get the tuple and then extract it it just appears as you know variables that you that you can deal with yeah in c sharp and in dot net we have a tuple class but i don't i don't see it used a lot no well, you know, it's it's a it's a problem that comes up, you know, frequently in programming that you want to return more than one thing from a function, and you don't. You're, I'm too lazy to say, oh, I'm going to make a class to return this, right. right? Or build a structure to return multiple values, right? Yeah, I'm just too lazy for that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, or maybe I just I just like my code simpler than that. So, but if it just returns a tuple and it's just tagged, it's it's fine. Um, and um, because you know, I. I just those years and years of doing C++ where I'd have to return more than one thing and having this big hack of passing in something by reference, some variables by reference to fill them in. And then, you know, it's if you have, a, you have some sort of bug associated with them, you think, where is where is this thing getting set? I don't even say where it's being set. Right? Because right. You assume, because you assume that if it goes into a function, it isn't being modified. Then you have to look at the signature. And that's where bugs come from. And um, I think, you know, I think the... Uh, the the guy who invented this language, like, I want to get his name right. His name is uh, Chris Latner, and he's he's apparently you know a, a really bright guy, and he's been working for many years on the um, the compiler architecture for Apple. Mm -hmm. He's he, he, when he was in college or when he was in graduate school, he was he wrote this um, idea for us a, uh, a integrated compiler linker setup that became what Apple uses now, which is LLVM. Wow. And so cool. uh, that that was you know that's something he invented in college. So he's you know he is really bright. And uh, I think what hap what happened is is that he was trying to make Objective C fast in all instances, and he was saying there's things about this language that I cannot make fast. <laughs> you know, I mean it's 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 a pretty fast language, right? But there are you know there are these cases where you do a lot. You know, you're in a tight loop and you're doing a lot of messaging to objects where it will slow down a lot. 
and he you know and he's writing this compiler for it and you know he just he i guess he just couldn't he could not come up with a mechanism to make it any faster than it was you know there was just limits to it because objective c is extremely dynamic language you know yeah. and and uh you can send a message to anything right and so you have to when you send a message to anything well any objective c object mm -hmm. or id uh you have you you um it has to look it up. He has to find where that message goes. It isn't like it's a you know as quick. It's not as quick as, for instance, in C where you'd have a uh, lookup table. You know that was hard coded with an index and stuff. He would have to make a call to look up where this message goes. And even though I'm sure they optimize optimize the pants off of that, uh, that that they they're you know they give the example of when you do want to do a sort. You know, a tight a, a large sort of complex objects. You know that's just not going to be. There's just limits how fast you can make that because it's going every time it, it makes a sort make ask you know what's your string right uh, it's it's going to have to make that message call and it's just going to be slower so I think uh, he wanted a language where you could the compiler could figure out exactly what message was being sent where it doesn't necessarily have to make this um, this call uh, to to it. it can make a more more direct call and make it fast and uh, and also there's you know I'm sure there because he's, you know, in the field, uh, he's he realizes that that people have valid come from who come over from .NET or from Java have valid mm -hmm. complaints about the language, you know, about about Objective C. But in the end, Swift just compiles down to Objective C, doesn't it? Like, isn't this built on top of it? It compiles to run on the Objective C runtime, but that's not the same as being the like Objective C, and it can call Objective C objects. Mm. Right. So, but it knows it's calling the Objective C object. You know, so it knows it has to send a message. Hmm. But it, but if it's calling a um, a uh, a Swift object, and especially if the Swift object uh, has said a, a given method is final, right? It's marked as a final implementation of this message. It knows exactly where what the what to compile to, what to jump to. Interesting, because in the end, it is still running on the LLVM compiler. Yeah. So it, yeah, the compiler is really smart. You know. Um, the, the Apple strategy with the compiler is, is that the co compiler knows everything about everything, and it can implement things like you know, um, you know, a variable inference, or it uh, you know it can statically analyze when you know when an object should be deleted. Uh, you know, it, it's you know it has you know um, total situational awareness, as they would say on Archer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice call out. Uh, so, um, you know, I, since, since he's the guy who wrote the language is the same guy who wrote the compiler, he knew exactly what he could do. And, you know, Apple does some crazy things because they own the whole stack. You know, they, um, when they came up, you know, when they come, when the A7 processor came out, uh, they were able to do things that you would not normally be able to do because, you know, you would have to, you know, you'd have to, you wouldn't know you were writing on exactly that hardware. So, like, um, they have objects that go entirely in, a, you know, get passed entirely in memory into a 64-bit uh, memory instead of it being on the stack. So if you allocate a number, like a Boolean, NS number with bool true, then the thing you get back is not an object. It's actually something on the, that's in a register somewhere. Huh. But, but, it, but, but it can treat it, and it can treat numbers up to a certain large, you know, fairly large numbers without having to switch back to using a regular object to encapsulate them. So maybe, maybe if you had a number that was like, you know, a trillion you would have to al allocate an actual NS number. But if for numbers like, you know, 
52, it can just put them in a register and treat it as a, uh, uh, an object almost because it's, they own the whole stack. They can do crazy things like that. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Time to tell a Tom Swifty joke, he said swiftly. Oh, geez. <laughs> you remember Tom Swifties? I do. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, that's how we learned adverbs in, in school. Way back when. Way back when. No, no, no. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who today's winner is, join the Telerik Kendo UI Q214 release webinar, Enterprise UI for Every Device. This free webinar will showcase all the new goodies in the latest release, including data management and visualization additions like Gantt charts, pivot grids, and tree maps, also, mobile widgets support for AngularJS and lots more. Register now at Telerik.com slash Kendo-UI slash release webinar. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Simon Lamb. Congratulations, Simon. Yeah. Clap a clap for you. Clap a clap. Simon just won the Telerik DevCraft collection. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And hey, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great stuff like this. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member, which we pick at random. And uh, Glenn, we like to ask our guests on this show that uh, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Well, you know, you know, I, I had this beautiful Apple Thunderbolt display that went bad yesterday. Oh no! And it, and it was out of warranty, and they wouldn't, you know, and it, you know, it was the panel that went bad that the genius told me, and so I had to eat the cost of a, you know, a nine hundred dollar um, Thunderbolt display. Wow! I'm really unhappy about it. I'm, I'm kind of amazed that those things go bad. It's one of those things like if it works for the first ninety days, it'll work forever. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, I thought you know you would think maybe the power supply could go bad because it's you know it it it, it hits you know. There's a lot of things that's powering the power supply. Right. Uh, they said it was just the panel, and uh, they there was just an eight hundred and thirty three dollar repair bill for a nine hundred dollar monitor. So, mm. yeah, uh, I, I said no. Uh, but uh, I'm I, I'm not I'm not I don't have any of these things like jet cars or whatever. I would probably just get a you know a, fair, a fairly moderately spec'd out Mac Mac Pro. You know the new garbage can shaped ones. Yeah, that one's very pretty. They're be they're beautifully they're very, supposed to be very quiet. You know, that's the whole thing is built around making them quiet. Yeah, that airflow model. Every so often, they make a really lovely looking Mac. Like, I like the old one that was in the clear case, too. But this, the, the, the can one is cool. It is. It is very cool. You know, I, I, you know, I always had dreamed when they had the cube. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Borg cube, right? Yeah. I always imagined I'd have like this huge studio with, you know, with a desk in the center and inside on the center of the desk would be the cube. Yeah, you know, like to be like some sort of like you know Japanese garden outside, uh, but uh, I didn't end up doing that. It was it was not an, it was that the cube was not a very practical computer at all. Yeah. And by the way, if you fully load one of those Mac Pros, you will blow the snot out of that That's five thousand right. dollar budget. <laughs> that is you true. You will cream it. You will be double, maybe triple. Yeah, like yeah. The, the Apple is happy to take your money. You yeah. know, you can buy five grand just on the four K monitor if you want. Yeah, mm. I'm, 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 I guess I'm going to have to wait for a good 4K monitor to come down the pike. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen a good one yet. I've seen every one of them has been a little weird. I got a good 4K camera, but I don't there have a go. 4K monitor. 
yeah. or TV. I think the problem with the 4K monitors is that a lot of them just are 30 hertz re- refresh rates or yeah, something. Yeah, well, that's like because of the limitation in the communication rate, too. So this part of this is just HDMI 2 needs to come out, DisplayPort 1.3. Like, it, it's partly communicating in the video card to just try to get this thing right. Anyway, I quickly went and configured up a Mac Pro and hit 15 grand, no problem. Wow. With, yeah. with 12 cores of 64 gigs of RAM. Yes, but it'll be re- it'll be really quiet in your studio there, Carl. Really yep. quiet. Yep. Hey, I want to jump back into this because um, I guess the one of the big features of Swift is its swiftness. It's it's fast, and I guess when they rolled it out, there was a you know you can see this at um, you know pictures from the rollout where they were really bragging about their performance. Mm-hmm. Is the performance across the board, or is it just for sorting and you know those that kind of stuff? Well, I think that um, they're, what they're saying is that there were parts of the, the places where Objective-C was slow, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, those dysfunctional points are now fast. And other parts where they should be about the same, approximately. Okay. Uh, so um, the, I think the example that they gave on, um, on WWC was that they said, for this tight sort of, obje- of complex objects, whatever that means, uh, this is uh, uh, three t- 3.9 times as fast as Python. To run it in Swift, mm-hmm. and you know Python's a reasonably fast, you know, uh, scripting. Oh, I don't know what you call it, language. Yeah. And the number they said it was it was three point nine for Swift, and it was two point eight for Objective C. So they were claiming, you know, it's whatever three point nine divided by two point eight is uh, faster. And uh, so lately, you know, bloggers have been you know, looking at this, and each each uh, new beta of Xcode that comes out, the Swift library is faster. The Swift, the Swift, the output is faster, especially if you know if you turn on the optimizations. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, like there are some optimizations you don't want to necessarily turn on because, uh, because like for instance, an optimization that does turns off range checking, range checking, and you know right. you might be confident about your code, but on the other hand, you probably don't. You know you probably want your app to actually crash if you hit you actually use have a range error. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there, so for the first four or five betas, it was not faster than Objective C in a lot of hmm. things. Uh, but the last, the, the you know, everybody in the Mac community is is looking at this blog entry where this guy, you know, uh, version um, six came out, the beta six came out, and it's substantially faster than Objective C at the test cases they were given. Okay. Um, you know, like sometimes two, three times as fast for these cases. Um, I think. So it it's in in the case where a lot of messaging is happening, like for instance, um, you know, I wrote a um, an SVG uh, document handler in in Objective C a couple of years ago, and you know, I I optimized the heck out of that. But it's it's the case when you're deep in a data structure and you're iterating through a large you know tree, and sending a lot of messages around that there's only so so fast you can make it. Mm. And so I, you know, nowadays I would never write that sort of code in Objective C. I would wait for the Swift to become 1.0, and I would use write, write it in that. And I got to think that Apple's benefiting from just taking a look at what people are struggling with with Objective C and and attacking those things specifically. Like, there's so much code written now in Objective C. That's a heck of a thing to analyze. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they they get feedback from the developers about, um, you know, the uh, w- why was this bug so imp- easy to have. Right. right. Yeah. And and why why can't the compiler help me? Why does it even let me do that? Yeah, because you know because Objective C was based on C and C lets you do things. Yes, it's your foot to quote my friend Carl Franklin. Yeah, uh, that's quoting Kate Gregory. Yeah, Glenn, do you how do you like generics? 
Uh, I'm not a generic programmer. I'm more of, I, you know, I like I like generics when they come up, but from what I way I program, I don't use them very much. The generics, but it is there are, are there. They're very nicely done generics, you know, mm-hmm. where you can you can uh, and one of the best things about them is that you have t- you can use generics to give you like type safety and arrays and things. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's you know, if I want to to create a custom collection, a list in C sharp, I make a list of whatever the object is, and then you know, I don't get just a generic list. I have one that's specific to that to that uh, type, and and that doesn't appeal to you. I, well, it it does appeal to me, but I mean, I I don't I don't go crazy with generics. You know, I don't like say, oh, I I need I'm going to write all sorts of sort routines that take doubles and another one that takes ints or whatever. You know, it's mm-hmm. it comes up, but uh, you know, my interest when it comes to our program device is how function of how much functional programming I can do. You know, how 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 um. How I can do things that so that um, that I have strong uh, thread safety and such things like yeah. that, and so I'm really happy with Swift in those regards because you know I'm a, I like to do functional type program. Well, let's talk about the functional features of Swift. Well, so the, generally the idea is that you uh, even inside of routines you have this idea that you you can uh, you have two kinds of variables you have let variables and bar variables. Mm-hmm. And so anything you declare as a let variable, you're not supposed to be able to modify, although. There might be some things that, w- that are strange with you when you deal with arrays, that some things in arrays may be somewhat modifiable. Mm-hmm. But in general, uh, if, I, you know, if you set something with a let, it's done. You know, so then, and when you, that's sort of a functional thing, right? Where you can say, saying, I, I'm not, I can't modify this at all because it's, it's specified with a let. So let means that this is immutable. It's like a constant. It's like a constant. It's right. And you should use, and I would highly advocate, you know, anything that can be a let should be a let. Right. Uh, Swift is not a functional language. It's not F sharp. Okay. Yeah. But it allows you to function, to program in a functional manner, which in my mind is that uh, you, you do not modify state, you clone state. Yes. And, and, and in, the, in the process of initializing the new state, that's where you make your changes in, right. in that in that transition where you're making a clone. Right. So so you you don't never have a situation you're wearing you're in one thread and you you change you change this string to Bob from Frank and all of a sudden you know some other thread working you know unbeknownst to it all of a sudden starts printing the wrong thing. Got it. You know you want it, you want things to have you know immutability. And you can pass functions like we pass delegates around in in C sharp right? Yes, and a function is a first class object in Swift. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about this immutability effect was about being able to do parallel execution really well, which is not something I think about on a phone. Well, you know, they have two, they have, uh, two cores for a reason. Right, right. Um, you know, Apple. You know, Apple it gets along with having uh, uh, two two cores on a phone. All all the other major vendors have four four, four cores, I think, for their for their flagship phones. Sure, but, but they make it really easy, you know, to do parallel programming. To set, you know, they have they've moved from using a thread model to using a queue model many many years ago, and uh, it's very easy to, you know, I'm going to do some network programming. I'll just put it on this other queue, and presumably it's on another core. Right, and it's 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 easy. It's uh, people are saying that you know C sharp has their um, what's a what do they call it a sync and wait? I'm sorry, what's the async and wait? Yeah. They have it, so they they say it's not quite the syntax that you have with, with that, but I think that it's better use of cores because you have more f- flexibility as to you know choosing to what, if you're doing it on the main thread or you're going to do it, um, you know, another core. 
Well, and when you have two cores, it's pretty easy to think, okay, send this to the background thread and can, you know, keep the UI on the foreground thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For two cores, that seems simple. That the whole immutability reentrancy approach is about, okay, you've got 16 cores. You do not call off to 16 separate execution paths. You just want to be able to have a bunch of stuff that it decides how to spread across the processors. Yeah. But when I have 16 cores in my phone, you need to give me a slap in the head. That's clearly, <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, you say that now, Richard Campbell. Yeah, yeah, you, you're good. I just giving you an excuse to hit me, I think. That's right. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're yeah. asking for a pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, want, you, wait, you wait till Microsoft comes up with a Windows phone with, you know, with 32 cores and, you know, and um, in a heat sink. And, yeah. uh, and, and you'll be Your thinking pocket that's warmer. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't know. I, a, couple of, a couple of the Nokia phones I've got right now, like you're running GPS and a couple other things going, those phones will burn your fingers, man. They get hot. Oh well, my iPhone gets a little hot too. Um, but you know, it's it. Yeah, I would. You know, I wish they would settle down. You know, and say this is fast enough. But it, you know, there's always going to be this competition for mm-hmm. it. Uh, I would not. I would not be surprised if Apple went to four cores because you know they like this in the upcoming release when the iPhone six comes out. Uh, because just because you know they always like to say, oh, we doubled the speed this year. Right. That's one way to do it. And uh, as long as they can keep the bat, you know, the battery power low or usage low enough, that it's it's great. Well, it does sound like they're making a bigger phone, which means they'll have more room for battery. This is true. Well, we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about the bigger phone, you know, because, you know, they were right. You know, the smaller phones are fit in your hand. You can do one on hand operation. Now what? Now they're going to say, oh, we were wrong, you know? Well, they were wrong about the mini. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. I, they hate, I think they hate admitting they were wrong about that. I, I tend to agree, but maybe they'll just present it as we thought of this because <laughs> they've done that too. I hate to say it. I'm looking at this swift code and it looks very c sharp it does yeah that's great yeah. i'm not well, complaining i'm just like this not not that original maybe this is as terse as you get right this is as efficient a language as you can get that we're all sort of converging on the same point it might very well and you know one thing is that they got rid of the semicolon yeah there's that i mean i've been i've been i've been you know trying to keep myself in typing a semicolon for a month yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you just put a slash slash semicolon, yeah, you can leave it in. It. it won't hurt anybody. Just do it as a comment. <laughs> well, no, they'll, they'll let you put semicolons in, but they're not they're not um, obligatory. Oh, they're not required. Oh, okay. And okay, so, so no line terminators. But you know, you know, I want my Swift code to be perfect, right? So, like for instance, uh, if you're doing a for loop, right, and if you and and you you have some imp- some uh, loop variable that you don't actually use inside. You can replace that with an underscore, right? So the other day I was in the shower. I said, "Oh, I wrote that loop code. I I got to go back and I got to put return that." I remember it was where I was supposed to put an underscore there. So I went back, <laughs> and I went back and I put an underscore there. So I wasn't using that loop variable. Are you thinking about your code in the shower? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, what what do you do in the shower? <laughs> and with that, let me tell you that Coder Camps is changing the way people learn .NET and JavaScript. If you've been learning .NET on your own, these guys at Coder Camps can help you get the skills you need to get hired in just nine weeks. They've been around for over a year, and the results are amazing. Everyone who's graduated has been hired within ninety days. And now they've made it even better by letting students attend camp online. Check them out at codercamps.com. You know, I'm looking at the Swift site, and they talk about OSX as well, which is really interesting to me that you have a common programming language between these two different platforms. But this is not a version of OSX that's out yet. 
Well, I think I think you'll be able to target. Um, they, they'll have a what will happen is when you release an iOS eight comes out, you'll be able to release for iOS eight. But you'll, there'll be a run, little runtime stuff that you compile into your into your own app that allows you to target iOS seven. And the same thing will happen in OS ten. I think where OS ten point ten, right one oh one point one oh comes out, you'll be able to target. I think uh, ten point nine something. This is a code name Yosemite. The new one's called Yosemite. Last one was called Mavericks. Right. Uh, they're 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 going down the up and down the coast of California. They're. Really, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess that's fair, but you know this is looks like universal apps on the app in the Apple world. Well, no, I mean app. You know they've been even able to program in Objective C in both languages for a long, both platforms for a long time. Right. And uh, and there are a lot of code that you can share, but you know for some reason you know they don't they don't. And they do, you know, they'll tell you, here, go to this session, you'll learn how to share code between iOS and, and OS X. Okay. Uh, yeah, but they they really don't want you to, to, to just compile, cross-compile over to your to you to this other app. You know, they, they do strange things like there's a um a UI color uh object in uh in uh in iOS, but there's mm-hmm. an there's an NS color object in 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 OS 10, so any code that you write that that uses one or the other, it has to have you have to shim it somehow to make it work. Oh uh, no, that's just colors. Yeah, they're just colors. When and the funny thing is that those are only wrappers around a a, a base cla- object that's called a CG color, which is shared by both both platforms. So uh, you know, it, a lot of people you know do they take their their iOS app, they say, well, we'll we'll put a OS 10 wrapper around it, and we'll put it in the Mac App Store, and we'll make a little extra money at it. Nice. Uh, and it's it's. I think uh, there's a lot of developers that have learned about XC, and they, you know, and it's a good thing. They, uh, the Mac App Store is actually pretty good. I go there quite often, buy little utilities and stuff, and it's uh, there's a lot of, lot more traffic there than it used to be. The big problem here is that there are no Touch Macs. That's true, and I don't think there are going to be any Touch Macs. Really. Well, I think the only reason they would do a Touch Mac is if they lose a lot of money. There's a lot of people like me, you know, being a Mac guy. My wife is a Windows person. Uh, I buy her a Mac to run Windows on because right? I right. like the hardware. <laughs> the, 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 only, the only reason I, that Apple, I think, would put a touch screen on a Mac until they're ready, without, if they can think, oh, we can make OS X a really great touch operating system, is if they're going to lose money. A lot, a lot of those people that buy... Um, uh, MacBook Airs will go to go to another Ultrabook uh, because it doesn't have a touchscreen. Right. Well, and if you look at the latest iPad, like you put a keyboard on that, that's a touch Ultrabook. Like it's right there. It's um, it's close. I mean, it, you know, it isn't running a, an Intel processor. No. Well, that's the implication of Swift now is this cross compilation. I write it once and it runs on the Intel chipset uh, and Mac OS X or it runs on the ARM chipset on the iPad. Well, the thing is that they mm. Objective C didn't it had that same feature of it, so it isn't an advantage of Swift over Objective C that it's on mm-hmm. both. Um, you know, I Apple does what Apple wants to do. You know, yes, they 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 want to be a premium product. They want to like own they own their own destiny. You know, the reason that they do all these things with developer tools and they're having their own language or whatever, is they want to own their own la- own destiny. They've been, they've been in situations in the past where they didn't own their own destiny, and it's yes. stunk. You know, back when, you know, back when IE was the default browser on the Mac, they, they did not own their own destiny. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now I've just heard Safari called the current IE6. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's better in, in a better better architect than the IE6. I, I tend to agree, but it's now the oldest browser that you need to support. That's yeah, what the real implication right. is there. Oh well, I well I mean there's they're coming up with new versions of Safari you know frequently. So I mean it's not like there's not in development, um, but uh, yeah I mean. All these all these moves by Apple are just to, to say you know they want to lock you know they want to lock their developers and they want to make their developers happy, but they want to own their own destiny. You know if you hear them they say that they're going to acquire a company, it's be- mainly because they want they want to have some uniqueness that they that they own. You know they bought Beats of all ple- of all things for mm-hmm. yeah, some yep. ridiculously amount of money. Uh, I I can't I can't rationalize that other than they think that that'll give them you know x you know. Extra, an extra differentiator in the store. But they have something like a hundred billion dollars in the bank. Like they got to spend it on something. Yes, it might be that. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they they have a lot of money, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, but you know, they still they still have this paranoia. I mean, all the people that were there when the bad times. You know, uh, like people say about Microsoft that you know that you know Bill Gates or whatever. You know, he always knew that there was something new coming out that could that could you know take take their lunch away from them, and they had yep. to be paranoid constantly. Mm. And that's what kept them, you know, edgy on the edge for so many years. Is that that realization that something better can come along that will take your lunch away from you. Yep. So uh, Apple's the same way, except that you know they they just hate the they hated the idea of relying on somebody else when somebody else had their developer tools and was not interested in making you know updates that was bad yep we also wonder now if we went to a more open source model with all this stuff then they're not as dependent you know other people can contribute it's it's more flexible it's an interesting debate like i feel like apple's playing an old game an old walled garden game and everyone else has kind of moved on well yeah, I mean, uh, they'll keep do- doing what works while it still works. I mean, yeah. they they get like eighty percent of the profits in the mobile sector. Uh, yeah, they, they make ninety percent of the money in the above thousand dollar computer market. There's some ridiculous amount. Simply put, they've captured the uh, upper middle class or middle class uh, market, basically for you know people who have the money to spend and they want the the coolest, hippest device. They don't necessarily want something that's economically feasible. Well, there used there was a Dilbert many years ago where Dogbert was had a, a a Venn diagram or something where there was four quarters in this circle, this pie chart, and he said there are you, there are customers that are poor and smart, and those are the worst customers. Right, and, there, and there, there's customers that are. Uh, uh, rich and dumb, and those are the best customers. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mac customer, and I'm a very happy Mac, Mac customer, or Apple yeah. customer. But uh, you know, you do want you do want people with money to be your customers. Of course, yes. Um, those are the best. Cu- I mean, I, th- those are the best customers that have people have money. You know, if, if Android wants to, you know, you know, they have a, you, you know 98 market share in Mogadishu. Or whatever, I God bless them. <laughs> uh, but but I, I think Apple wants to have not you know you know six, would rather have sixty seventy percent market share in Japan and and you know the United States and Canada and things mm-hmm. like that. Hmm. The wealthy places. Yeah. Yes, the wealthy. They want the wealthy markets. And uh, my wife is Chinese, and you know the, there is a large wealthy population in China, and they will pay they will pay a lot of money for iPhones and have been. And have been, uh, and the you know, people who don't will get these, you know, 
iMay clone things that, mm-hmm. that, that people have been talking about lately. Uh, what May I? Have you heard about these things? Heard about them. Haven't seen it. Well, I, they were in Ars Technica today, and they, you know they look pretty much like iPhones. You know, they if they were to, if they were to export to the United States, they would be sued. They're a knockoff. No, they're a knockoff, but they're well-made knockoffs. And so, you know, the middle class in China are buying these things, and they're you know, and they're pretty happy, right? But you know, that isn't necessarily a market that you know Apple wants. They want their wealthy people in China necessarily. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, like I said, I was writing a keyboard. Do you want to talk about keyboards for a while? Because that's another thing that Apple allowed this this time. Um, sure. Yeah, we got a few minutes left. Go for it. Okay. Um, you know, for the longest time, people were talking about, and I don't know on Windows Phone, can you put in a third-party keyboard on Windows Phone? No. But they, they at 8.1, they've got a new keyboard that's great. But you, uh, you can't, it's not like Android. You can't just switch keyboards. Yeah, well, the pro- the problem with me all this time was that if you put a keyboard, it's like, you know, it's, you could go to the store and, like, get, you know, Keylogger 2000. And install it, and then all of a sudden you wonder where you know where your bank account went. Right. So, so I'm, I, you know, if, if you if you've seen the um, the disclaimer that comes up on Android when you insert in, install a third party keyboard, it's like uh, you take your chances with yeah. this. Uh, so a- I think Apple had to come up with a security model that was that they could live with uh, before they were going to allow third party keyboards. So I thought I'll I need to learn Swift. I will assign myself a, a task. I will write a keyboard. Okay. So that's my my Swift product. I'm going to write a keyboard, and it's 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 really very cool. But it's hard to debug extensions. The, the developer tools are not quite there because a keyboard's run in their own process. So you have to attach the process to get to it, and then oftentimes you can't read variables for some reason. And so it's it's the tools aren't quite there for debugging keyboards yet. So it's been a hmm. little bit of an effort. Um, but one thing, funny things about uh, Apple is they they localize their um, their keyboards to like. 40 or so different languages. And so I figure, oh, I have, I'm writing a keyboard. I should localize it. So I went and found Apple strings where they were. And they localized a Cherokee. They, huh. they, act, I, <laughs> they localized their keyboard string to Cherokee. I mean, how many people possibly people could do, could, would, I mean, I, I don't, I myself am part Cherokee. Okay. I will say I'm, you know, genetically I'm part Cherokee okay. somewhat. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to have that thing. But it, it seems, it, this attention to detail that Apple has is ins- is not insane. It's actually quite laudable, right? That they that they want people of different languages to have their language on the keyboard. But you know that's that's just amazing to me that they do that. That they that they go to that length of you know not just you know three different kinds of Spanish and two and four t- three different kinds of Portuguese, but uh, and you know a yeah. language is down to what ten thousand or twenty thousand re- list- speakers in the world. That's amazing. It is, and I, I mean, I, um, I I don't know how they chose it. I'm sure there are languages with more speakers. You know, there the it seems to me that the the languages from India were not well represented, but uh, you know, you get Sanskrit and something or Hindi. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's just it's been fun. And then my my brother my brother is a poker player, and so I I said, hey, you know you know what's cool about these this new model this you know with all these enumerations and stuff like make a keyboard model, uh, we can just change this one little array here from the the strings I'm using, and it becomes a you know a poker uh, type uh, keyboard. You know, like I, it's this is amazing thing. Like I can mm. I, you know the, literally, you know. Uh, Twelve lines of code, and this and it becomes goes from being uh, what I'm writing, which I'm going to keep a little secret, uh, to uh, to a poker calculator 
It's just 10 lines of code. And then they just have to refactor it a little bit so that, you know, the shared code is one place. And, it, you know, it just works so smoothly, right? Yeah. That, you know, that you could, you, in this language, you could encapsulate the data model of an of, of this keyboard so so compactly yeah. that it just worked, came out very well. Glenn, it's been great talking to you again. And uh, I, I hope to have you back on the show every once in a while just to, to keep in touch with our you know, our, our hardcore Objective-C and now Swift developer out in the wild. Okay, well, thank you. I, I love your show, guys. Uh, you guys do a great job. Um, and uh, I listen to it every, uh, you know, every time I'm in my car. So um, Awesome. So thank, thanks, guys. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for listening. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCC.